Bye, kids. Be good. Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Find it a bit strange without a mask now. Before that, I find it a bit strange putting on a mask. But anyway, let's begin. Let's dive right in. Numbers chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my food offerings, my pleasing aroma, you shall be careful to offer to me at its appointed time. Note the, the series of first-person pronouns. My offering, my food, my food offerings, my pleasing aroma. Now, emphasis is placed on the ownership of God. You see, we must know this. Offerings to God recognize that they are gifts from God in the first place. Offerings to God recognize that they are gifts from God in the first place. God gives, His people receive, then they return turn back to him what was originally his. So, so when someone asks us, why do you give? Our answer ought to be, we don't give. God gives. We merely return what belongs to him. That is what offering is really all about. Verse 2, you shall be careful to offer to me at its appointed time. Now how did the people of Israel observe God's appointed time or calendar? Firstly, by offering the daily sacrifice. Chapter 28, verse 3. This is the food that you shall offer to the Lord day by day. By offering the weekly sacrifice. Verse 10. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath. By also offering the monthly sacrifice. Verse 11. At the beginnings of your months, you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord. Finally, by offering the yearly sacrifices, which is the focus of our text this morning. Now, if you look at chapters 28 and 29 together, they record a calendar of priestly sacrifices, which assume... When you look at all the things that are being offered, it assumes an abundance of agricultural products. Bulls, rams, lambs, goats. All these require grazing fields in order to raise them. Flour, oil, wine. All these require fertile soil in order to obtain them. So, whenever you look at all those animals or all the goods being offered unto the Lord, agriculture there implies land. And here's one thing I learned. Old Testament laws about sacrifices rest on the promise of land. Remember, God gives. 
So when God say, offer it back to me, God gives first. And when He gives, He gives abundantly. So whenever you read about sacrifices in the Bible, you must remember that Old Testament laws about sacrifices always rest on God's promise of land. So for Joshua and the new generation, that must have been very encouraging. A strong affirmation that God is faithful. He will provide. The new, the, uh, he will provide keeping His promise to their forefathers to give them land and to bless them with abundant provisions. So whenever I reach into my wallet or whenever I take out my phone, you know, I scan the QR code, whenever I give to God, God first gives. You know, someone always asks me, will there be enough for the church? I say, yes, because God gives first to the church. The only problem is the church does not ever have enough is because the people of God don't return. That's the problem. The problem is not God giving. We always have enough. There is more than enough to support all the ministries of the church because God is faithful. He will keep His promise to bless us, to give us abundant provisions so that in turn we may return so that the church can continue its good work. So this morning, I want to first and foremost consider the sacrifices then. Let's look backwards first before we look at today. Let's consider the sacrifices then. So in addition to the daily, weekly and monthly sacrifices, which was covered last Sunday, there are the yearly sacrifices. I want to introduce those yearly sacrifices to you. Let me run through them briefly. I will only read small portions of the text enough to identify the feast that is celebrated by all Israel. I'll summarize the details on the stipulated animal offerings, also the grain and drink offerings, as they do get repetitive. So first, let's look at the first one. First of the annual feast is the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Numbers 28, verse 16 to 17. If you have your Bibles, you can open your Bibles to chapter 28. Numbers 28, verse 16 and 17. On the 14th day of the first month is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of this month is a feast. Seven days shall unleavened bread be eaten. So Passover commences on the 14th day of the first month. The Feast of Unleavened Bread immediately follows, beginning the next day, the 15th day of the same month for seven days. Two bulls, one ram, and seven lambs are to be offered for each of the seven days. Also, their grain offerings mixed with oil, and their drink offerings, the amount varying with the type of animal offered. Plus, one goat for a sin offering for each of the seven days. Now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread commemorate the exodus from Egypt, Israel's deliverance from bondage and oppression. So that's the first feast. Here's the second one. Next is the Feast of Weeks. Look down to verse 26. 
on the day of the first fruits, when you offer a grain offering of new grain to the Lord at your feast of weeks. Now, this feast is celebrated seven weeks and a day that is 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the Feast of Weeks. The New Testament names this feast Pentecost. From the Greek word meaning 50th. It celebrates the wheat harvest where the first fruits are brought to the Lord. Two bulls, one ram, and seven lambs are to be offered. Also, their respective grain offerings and drink offerings plus one goat for a sin offering. Now, according to chronology, coming 50 days after the first Passover in Egypt, the Feast of Weeks commemorates the giving of the law at Sinai. Now we come to chapter 29. Chapter 29 comprises feasts that take place in the seventh month, everything in the seventh month. It is the most festive season of the Israelite year. All the harvests are completed. There is time now for a long break and rest. Now, the seventh month begins with the Feast of Trumpets. Verse 1, chapter 29. On the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a day for you to blow trumpets. Now, the blowing of trumpets launches the seventh day, the seventh month festivities. One bull, one ram, and seven lambs are to be offered. Also, their respective grain and drink offerings plus one goat for a sin offering. Now today, this feast is celebrated as the Jewish New Year. Rosh Hashanah. Now Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year or the beginning of the year. The blowing of the shofar is its most iconic image. You hear a lot of trumpets or the horn being blown. The horn is shaped like a, uh, like a, like, like a ram's horn. Okay, you hear the blowing of the horn on that day. The blowing of the shofar, that's what the Jews call them, the shofar, is the most iconic image. It recalls the creation of the world, expressing hope for a new beginning. That's what the Jews hope for that God will usher in a new beginning. It also marks the first, the start of 10 days of penitence, culminating in the next feast, which is the Day of Atonement. Verse 7. On the 10th day of this seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation and afflict yourselves. On the Jewish calendar, this is the holiest day. The day where the people of Israel are to afflict themselves, to deny themselves, to fast from food, to humble themselves before God. One bull, one ram, and seven lambs are to be offered. 
also their respective grain and drink offerings plus one male goat for a sin offering. The last in the series of seven-month festivities is the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. Verse 12, chapter 29. On the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work and you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. Now, more animals are sacrificed on this feast than all the other feasts combined. Now, the display of agricultural abundance testifies to the goodness of God. On the first day, 13 bulls, 2 rams, and 14 lambs are to be offered. Also, their respective grain and drink offerings plus one male goat for a sin offering. Then the number of bulls decreases daily by one. On the second day, it is 12 bulls, two rams and 14 lambs. And then on the last day, on the seventh day, it is seven bulls, two rams and 14 lambs. Now the Feast of Bulls of Tabernacles commemorates the day when the people of Israel left their permanent houses in Egypt to live in temporary tents in the open wilderness. Jews today imitate their forefathers by building booths adjacent to their homes and living in them during the seven days of the feast. The Feast of Tabernacles completes the entire priestly calendar and then it starts again. In Numbers chapter 29, the last two verses, 39 and 40, says this, This you shall offer to the Lord at your appointed feast, in addition to your vow offerings and your freewill offerings, for your burnt offerings, and for your grain offerings, and for your drink offerings, and for your peace offerings. So Moses told the people of Israel everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Remember what I said earlier? Old Testament laws about sacrifices rest on the promise of land. And the promise of land rests on the promise that God will bless the land. So that when the people return back to God, what is originally His, they may remember the reason why they have so many good things in their life is because everything comes from God. Everything. Now put yourselves in the shoes of Old Testament priests. Imagine yourself observing the calendar and making the stipulated offerings. Imagine your hands soaked in the blood of animals. Imagine the smoke of the burnt offerings getting into your eyes and leaving traces on your hair and vestments. Imagine yourself smelling like the sacrifices you offered. Those are the sacrifices then. Now, here's where I want to come to my main point of my sermon this morning. New Testament priests 
meaning all of us Christians. However, today face new, different realities. So let's consider the sacrifices today. How does all these things apply to us today? No bulls, no rams, no lambs, no goats. In the New Testament, animal sacrifices have become obsolete. Why? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Let me read that again. For since the law, that means the Old Testament law about sacrifices, since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And verse 4 says this, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, this is very important. If Old Testament law, which includes animal sacrifices, is only a shadow of the good things to come, we need to ask the following question. What then is the substance? If Old Testament law about sacrifices or Old Testament law in its whole is but a shadow, what then is the substance? Let me spell out four fundamental truths about sacrifices. Here's the first one. Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. Now, according to the priestly calendar, lambs were sacrificed every day. They were the most typical of sacrifices. Today, Old Testament language on sacrifice has a new reference. Let me point out, from the New Testament. Hear the language again. You will recognize some of the language if you have read chapter 28 and 29 or other parts of the Bible. Let's look at John 1, 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not many lambs. Only one lamb. Now, who is this Lamb of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Not on a bronze altar, but on the cross. Not daily, not weekly, not monthly, not yearly, but once for all. 1 Peter 1, verse 19. With the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In the Old Testament, unblemished animals were sacrificed to ransom the people of Israel. 
they but only foreshadow the perfect sacrifice in the New Testament. Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself up for us, Ephesians 5 verse 2, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, when those burnt offerings were being offered up by the priests, bulls, rams, lambs, goats, and God say they are a pleasing aroma to me. At the end, what God is smelling when He looks forward to the day where there is only one who will be able to please Him totally and completely, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Food offerings, drink offerings, Sabbaths, new moon celebrations, festivals, they are only a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. So when the light of Christ appears, the shadows disappear. Do you notice that we are one of the religions that don't do offerings in the sense? We don't burn joysticks. We don't burn any paper. We don't offer animal sacrifices. We don't do these things anymore. And the reason is because of that. One sacrifice, once for all. Complete. Done. When the light of Christ appears, the shadows disappear. That is why Christians today do not need to follow the Old Testament law on sacrifices anymore. It's because of Jesus Christ. Here's the second fundamental truth. Sacrifice is still a central component of New Testament worship. Sacrifice is still a central component of New Testament worship. Now, there isn't a day in the priestly calendar where sacrifices are not offered to God. Every day, you know, every day the priests offer something to God. There's no rest day, you know. Every day. On certain days and seasons like Sabbaths or new moons or festivals, additional offerings are even commanded. So what's the follow-up question for us today? Is this, what regular sacrifices do Christians offer today or New Testament priests offer today? And here it is. I pick up one. Let me just pick up one. The most important one, I believe. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here's the sacrifice God is looking for today. Not dead sacrifices, not animal sacrifices, not grain offerings, not drink offerings, but living sacrifice. He's looking for you as an offering. And here's how you do it. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your waking, your eating, your going to school or work, your playing, your resting, your daily normal life. Place it before God as an offering. That's what it means. 
holy and without blemish. Lord, here's my day. Here's my life. I give to you every day. Rejoicing in His love. Standing in His grace. Living for His glory. Submitting to His will. Walking by His Spirit. Delighting in His presence. Place your life before God as a fragrant offering. Now, when you do these things, and when God in heaven smell it, it is a pleasing sacrifice, just like His Son, Jesus Christ. That is why God wants to conform us to the image of Christ, so that He may say to many of us, I am pleased with you. That is why we must be like Him. That is why we must walk like Him. That is why we must be pure and holy like Him. A sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship. This is how we worship God. More than just singing a few songs once a week. More than just making some financial offerings once a while. What God really, really longs for from you is a daily offering of your very life to Him. Everything you do, you do it for Him. Your parents ask you, can you go and wash the dish? But mom, I'm tired. Can you wash the dish? Can you help me? I'm also tired. You know what you should do? Wash the dish. You know why? It's an offering. Sweep the floor. Offering to God. Be kind to the stranger. Offering to God. Help the weak. Offering to God. Help the poor. Offering to God. Pay attention to His Word. Offering to God. Be devoted to prayer. Offering to God. Be kind to others, even when others were unkind to you, offering to God. You do this every day. When God smells from above the pleasing sacrifice, He will bless you because you please Him. And everyone who pleases the Lord will be richly blessed. Remember this. The aroma of obedience is better than the aroma of offerings. And that is what God is smelling for. We were reminded this last week. You know, when God takes a deep breath, it's not the smoke that He's looking for. When He takes a deep breath, it's not the animal smell or the burning animal. What He's smelling is obedience. If I tell my people to do this, will they do it? And whenever they do it, they obey Him, it's pleasing. Very, very pleasing. Here's the third one. Christ is the ultimate sacrifice, the first one. Second one, Christ is still a central component of New Testament worship. Sacrifice is a communal affair. You don't do it at home by yourself. You gather with the rest and offer to the Lord. It's a communal affair. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation, chapter 28, verse 18. Seven times the call to hold a sacred assembly is heard from these two chapters. Seven times. They are meant for the community of faith to gather for worship, 
to bring to God their sacrifices of praise, to present their prayers and thanksgiving, to attend to the Word of God, to render their tithes and offerings, to stir one another up to love and good deeds. That's why we gather, encourage one another, pray for one another, sing together, lift up a worship to the Lord that is worthy of His name. Hebrews 10, 25 says this. You know, Hebrews talk a lot about sacrifices. And sacrifices always come with holy gatherings and secret assemblies. So it's not surprising that the author of Hebrew, very well versed in the Old Testament, says this. Because this is the New Testament way of continuing the reality found in the Old Testament. And this is this, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So Christians gather. You see, sacrifice and sacred assembly go together. You know, all of us come this morning, right? It's not to be entertained. All of us come this morning uh, is not to, what can I get? All of us come this morning, you cannot come with empty hands. You have to come with an offering. That is why when you step into the sanctuary uh, and you take your seat, right, you must remember uh, you are a worshipper. God is to be worshipped and you don't come empty-handed. You come with something. A praise, a thanksgiving, a testimony, tithes and offerings, you give something back to God. Because in the week just past, He gave much to you. You recognize, you say thank you, and then you return unto Him, what is pleasing to Him. You know, without your mask, although some of you are still in your mask, without your mask, I I can now see you but I don't see some. As I look around, I don't see some. I'm thankful for online streaming. It enables me to participate in a sacred assembly remotely when I couldn't be present physically. But I return on-site as soon as I can so that I'm present both in body and spirit for the encouragement and edification of others. That's why I come every Sunday. That's why I never miss coming. Because I have an offering to bring to God. I want to encourage others. So look around you. Who do you not see? Give them a call. Send them a text. Encourage them. Encourage them to join you in Sunday worship together with the saints, presenting our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Let me go on to the last one. For me, this is the most important one. Sacrifice anticipates recreation. Sacrifice anticipates recreation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Chapter 28, verse 18. Again, seven times the call to do no work is also heard in these two chapters. The number seven and its multiples feature prominently in these two chapters. Seven or fourteen lambs, seven bulls, 
the weekly Sabbath, seven feast days, seventh month of the year. You must get it. After a while, the Jews got it. Seven is very important to God. Why is seven so important? The reference is clear. It points back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That's where the seven becomes important. Because on the seventh day, God rests from all His work. It also points forward to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. You see, Old Testament laws about sacrifice rest on a promise of land. New Testament teachings about sacrifice rest on a promise of far better things. We sacrifice unto the Lord because we anticipate far better things. Let me, give, let me show you from Hebrews. First one. Hebrews 7.22 This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. And again, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. And again, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had better possession and an abiding one. And again, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. And again, 11 verse 35, Women received back from their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Do you see that? The entire book of Hebrews, much of the book of Hebrews, talk about sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And, but at the same time, when it talks about sacrifice, it also talks about better things. You see, this sacrifice, that ultimate sacrifice, anticipates better things. Better things imply the remaking of all things. That is what sacrifice promises. A new heaven, that is what we are waiting for. Not the land of Canaan. It's a new heaven God's going to give us when we sacrifice. A new earth, a new Jerusalem. You see, sacrifice anticipates recreation. The cross anticipates the empty tomb. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Here, Old Testament language on sacrifice again, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Now, this is not a harvest of wheat. This is a harvest of souls. Christ being the first fruits. You know, can I encourage you? Each time when God gives you the opportunity, you speak to someone who do not know Christ yet. And that someone, having already prepared by God to believe, come to faith in Him, He's another first fruit. Christ being the first. And when you bring Him here, it's an offering to God. Very precious in the eyes of God. 
everyone you brought to Christ is an offering to the Lord. And that's what the Lord is looking for. The harvest of souls. If you pour out your life for Christ, sacrifice, you will gain back eternal life. Recreation. That's why the, the Lord Jesus says this, right? If you lose my, your life for my sake and for the gospel's sake, you will gain back eternal life. Sacrifice implies recreation, resurrection, new creation. You know, in a short while, we're going to sing the response song once again. Somewhere in a song, I believe it gives a good answer to this question. What then do we say to all this? Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. Sacrifice is still a central component of New Testament worship. Sacrifice is a communal affair. Sacrifice anticipates recreation. What do we say to all this? I like this song because it teaches us to say the right things. And this is it. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for making us a new creation. You see, for Christians, sacrifice is never a bad word. Somewhere in the song will also be this, Thank you for the cross, my friend. Now, all of us know Jesus calls us friend. And then in John chapter 15, verse 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. So when Jesus calls us friend, he proved, to, he proved it by laying down his life for us. Now, when we answer back and say, Jesus, you are my friend, you know what that means? It means you must lay down your life for him. But he, didn't, he don't require you to die. He requires you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So when you sing the song later on, thank you for the cross, my friend, the implication is this, you are willing to pour out your life, all of your life for him, and hold nothing back. Let us pray. Let me give you a moment for the Lord to speak to you. Have you forgotten the meaning of the sacrifice? Have you forgotten what Christ has done for you on the cross? Are you complaining when sacrifice is expected of you? Are you grumbling because you find yourself giving out more than you receive? Well, why not change the attitude and do this instead? When you're asked to give, hear the voice of Jesus Christ saying to you, will you offer that to me? Why not do it willingly, cheerfully, and offer up to him something that is holy, blameless, without blemish? And it will please him, and when you please him, you'll be blessed. 
Can I invite the worship team forward? Give, me, give you a moment more to just respond in prayer. Why not just say these simple words? Thank you for the cross. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. Thank you, Jesus, for calling us friends and laying down your life for us. Thank you, O Lord, that because of your sacrifice, we are released from our bondage to sin. Thank you, O Lord, because of your sacrifice, better things are in store for us. Thank you, O Lord, that when we sacrifice our very lives, we are calling you friend. And when we do so, O Lord, we anticipate recreation. So, Lord, the next time we are asked to sacrifice something, help us to do it cheerfully, with understanding, with joy, recognizing that this is unto the Lord and for the honor and glory of His name. So, Lord, help us as we remember Christ as the ultimate sacrifice, as we remember that sacrifice is still a central component of New Testament worship, as we remember that sacrifice is a communal affair, and that sacrifice anticipates recreation. We give you thanks. Thank you for the cross. In your name we pray. Amen.